Shalom, Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word, means family. And we're the Mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. We're the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, all the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, I've only dreamt about what my guest has heard from the... I, my, my guest is the last living link to Azusa Street Revival. And the, those that aren't familiar with the Azusa Street Revival, uh, this happened in California, the most improbable situation, a warehouse, a one-eyed black preacher before there was integration of races, uh, and the Shekinah glory showed up in this warehouse, and almost everyone that walked in walked out healed. Uh, and my guest, Tommy Welchel, uh, met some of the elderly survivors, because, you know, remember now, this was a hundred years old, uh, ago. He met some of these survivors, and they told him firsthand what they saw, how they prayed, what, uh, 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 what the results were. So he really is the last living link. Now, Tommy, you were told that your destiny was to make this known what occurred over a hundred years ago. Who told you this? She's, she's getting pretty old now. Her name was Jean Darnell. She said that one day I would put these stories in print, and that was in 1966. I'd been listening to the stories for six years, but I, I, I couldn't tell them for 40 years. Why? Well, uh... There's a little story behind that. I, I I I had a visitation from the Lord in my hiding place. What, what was your hiding place? It was a little secret place I made for myself up at the attic of Pisgah. And if I didn't want nobody to bother me, I'd go up there and hide. I, uh, Pisgah was a place where a lot of the people that were involved in the revival. Quite a few. Uh, they, it was almost like a retirement Yes, home? it was. Okay. It was called the Pisgah Home. And that was in California. It's right right next to Pasadena. Okay. And and there, uh, a man by the name of uh, David Duplessis told me to go up. The, now, if I wanted another encounter with Jesus, the first one I had, he got close to me and I fainted. Right. I, just, I got overcome, passed out. So you made up your mind, you're not going to faint this time, Well, <laughs> the next time. Right. And so I got up there and I'm praying and all of a sudden, my alarm goes off, and I go and I turn it off, and the, the little room in there is light as day. Well, there were no lights up there. At that time, there were no electricity up in the in the loft. There is now, but I thought the light that I knew who that was. Well, I looked to the right, nobody, and here's these beautiful robe. I can't describe to you how beautiful that robe was. Snow white, and it glowed. And I knew who it was. I leaped up and threw my arms around his waist, stuck my face into his stomach. And then all of a sudden, I felt his hand stroking the back of my head. 
he said my name one time. He said, Tommy. And then he said, be patient and be obedient. Over and over. And then all of a sudden he's gone and it's daylight out there. So now what did he want you to be patient for? That he impressed it so much that he said over and over. Well, when I had left Pisgah, it, I would want to so badly it was just to tell some of these stories. And every time I would start, I'd hear that voice. Tommy, I said, be patient and be obedient. Well, I'd freeze. I couldn't tell him. Well, well, when did he release you to tell these stories? In 2006. Any idea why 2006 versus 1995 or 1990? It was the 100th year of Azusa Street. So what did that mean? In 40 years after I had quit listening to the stories. I guess it was his timing. I understand that in 1909, there was a series of three prophecies about something that would happen a hundred years from the Azusa Street Revival. Tell me about those prophecies. Well, the first was Barry Woodworth Eder. She's the one that had the big revival in 1913 down in uh, Echo Park, there in Holland Park. She prophesied that Soon before the coming, second coming of the Lord, there would be a great revival, huge revival that would happen in place. Then William Seymour, just before 1910, got up in the altar and made a prophecy that in about a hundred years, there would be another revival like unto Azusa Street, return with miracles and with the Shekinah glory, and to this there would be no end to the coming of the Lord. But it wouldn't be in one place or with one person. It would even be in some homes with families. And they would be healing the sick and performing supernatural miracles. Now, there were three people that prophesied. Who else? Charles Parham. The one who had the big revival in 1901 in, in Topeka. Topeka. Right. He was in New York City. And they tell me almost simultaneously... He was making that same prophecy in New York City, and this was 1909. They didn't have the communications they have now, so they didn't get together and make this up. So approximately 100 years uh, from, uh, from the Azusa Street Revival, there would be another revival. Uh, now, would the miracles be greater than what we saw at Azusa Street? They said greater. Okay, they would be greater, they would be just before the appearing of the Lord, and they would continue, whereas in Azusa Street, uh, they stopped after about three or three and a half years. Yes. Uh, now, let me take you back to the beginning of Azusa Street, and remember, Tommy was just a teenager. He met the elderly survivors that had firsthand seen what occurred in Azusa Street, and we're going to see something greater. But someone that intrigues me a lot is this William Seymour. Uh, he was the most unlikely person, a one-eyed black preacher. Very much. It was a... Uh, now, at that time, there was segregation of churches. Yes. And uh, what did he do about it being black? He wanted white people in there to see this great move of God's spirit. What did he do? It was the first integrated church in America that I know of. 
Seymour got kind of fanatical. If he come down from his apartment to the service, and there were 20 or more of the same color sitting in one place, he would separate them. He would not tolerate any kind of segregation. He wanted them all integrated. And was it true that when he started this revival, uh, he would come down and put a box? What kind of box was it? Was it cardboard? or No, it wood. A wood box. It's, it's boxes that ship fruit in. Okay, and he put it over his head. Why did he do that? He told he told signs is an obedience to God, and I believe it was just humble obedience. And then he wouldn't take listen to this he would not take uh, this a wooden box off of his head until he knew what God wanted to do until God spoke to him. Tell me, I'm so curious about this William Seymour. Tell me some of the things they told you about him that they saw firsthand. Well, Seymour, there's, there's sometimes they said he would come down. It is, now, there wasn't all the time, but this time he looked at a whole area that were laying there in cots had been brought from the hospitals. And he looked up and he says, Every one of you, if you want to be healed, you can. In Jesus' name, you're healed. Get up, take up your cots, you're healed. Every one of them. He said there were about three dozen. Got up, rolled up their cots, did not go back to the hospital. Uh, do you know about, much about the education of this William Seymour? Seymour was not that highly educated. He was the son of slaves. He didn't get much of an education. Back then in the South, they didn't educate the blacks very well. Uh, you know, they were prejudiced. They thought blacks couldn't learn anyhow. Well, that that was a lie. So, so God picked a one-eyed black man to lead the greatest revival in the history of America. God will use whoever is available. My guest is Tommy Welchel, and Tommy is the last living link to the Azusa Street Revival, and he's going to share what he heard firsthand from the survivors. They were elderly people. Uh, he actually lived with them. They took him off the streets. His father uh, was in prison, and he, he was living in the streets, and uh, he was addicted to drugs and alcohol, and he got radically saved. He got radically set free from his addictions, uh, and they felt God told them to pour into Tommy the anointings they had, to pour into Tommy the stories of everything that they had seen firsthand, because there was coming a time in which he was supposed to release this information. And the thing that intrigues me the most is the 100-year prophecy. Uh, three of the leaders in different locations uh, prophesied 100 years from the Azusa Street revival, there would be a breakout of miracles greater than Azusa Street. It wouldn't just be one or two pl places, one or two special men or women. It would be anyone that opened themselves up to the move of God's Spirit. And he was released by Jesus to start talking about the, uh, these miracles. Um, Tommy, you were told these miracles as a young man, and, and then you were told to keep quiet for something like 40 years about the miracles. How do you remember them so well? 
I'm in my major tribe. I'm, I've got an awful lot of Cherokee in me, and I'm what they call in the Cherokee Nation is a keeper. We're people that you tell us something, and then 30 years later we can retell it exactly like you told it to us. Well, and, and the, the thing that I am so intrigued over, and yesterday we almost got to that point, is uh, the, the one that God used, one of the most unlikely. If you're an unlikely, guess what? Get ready. God's going to use you. That's right. One of the most unlikely uh, was, was a one-eyed black man at a time before integration, and the Spirit of God showed up in this warehouse in Azusa Street in California, and almost everyone that walked in would walk out with radical miracles happening to them. But it lasted only three and a half years. And, yes. and we found out yesterday that uh, this fellow was so humble, William Seymour, that he would put a black box over his head and he would pray. Now, when he prayed, uh, was he praying in supernatural languages, tongues, or was he praying in English? He told Brother Sines, Brother Sines would ask him, the, 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 the piano player, mm -hmm. what, uh, what are you praying? I pray in the Spirit. So he would pray in tongues, but I understand that then he would know what he was praying in tongues. He understood it. He had the gift of, of interpretation. Yes. And once he would find out what God wanted, he would then, and only then, take the box off of his head, and whatever God said would happen. But three and a half years later, uh, he, he had a broken heart. People were talking about him. They tried, the, tried to take the mission away from him. Why would they want to do that? I don't know. But they wanted, well, one thing was it. He's not supposed to know anything. He's black. So there was discrimination. Discrimination. Oh, okay. But why did he, did you know why, after about three and a half years, he took the box off of his head? They said he never did say. But do you know what I believe? I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story, a true sad story. I was involved. I've been involved in several moves of God's Spirit. I was involved once in a move of God's Spirit. Nothing like Azusa Street, but a genuine move of God's Spirit. And one time I saw the senior pastor tell someone that was laughing in the Spirit so loud, and uh, he felt he was disrupting his wonderful message. He said, next time that happens to you, I want you to take it. I want you to go out into the lobby and take a towel, put it in your mouth, so that you're not disrupting the service with that holy laughter. That's what I believe happened with William Seymour. When William Seymour took that box off of his head, what happened to the revival? Within two weeks, they told me all of them told me within two weeks the Shekinah glory had left. Uh, a few healings. People receiving the baptism, but no supernatural stuff at all. It just died. And how old was he at that time? Well, that would have been in 1909. He died in 1922 at 52 years old. But when the revival stopped, how long did he live? He lived 13 more years. So many people criticized Seymour and telling him it was he's getting too famous, too big to be sitting there with that some even said a dumb box sitting on your head. I have to believe that he listened to the people he started getting rather him. than listening to God. Now, uh, at this revival of Azusa Street, 
how important was the baptism in the Holy Spirit, praying in supernatural languages and tongues? How important was that? It was that? extremely important. When, when, when the greatest miracles would happen is when Seymour would come down and he'd take that box off of his head and he'd say, Charles, that's Brother Signs, play this tune. And Brother Signs would say, he would start playing it. He'd, he'd walk around on the platform a little while, then he'd say, now, start singing in the Spirit. And that means singing in tongues. When they'd start singing in tongues, that Shekinah glory would start swelling and fill the whole building. Then the flames would shoot up out of the roof. Could everyone see the flames or just a few people? No, about, about I'd say about 70% could see it. Well, that's almost everyone. The, the flames would come out of the building and shoot up to heaven. What else would happen? A, a ball of fire would appear about 50 feet from them, and flames would shoot down and go through them and come into the building. So it's almost like the flames would unite from heaven and earth. Now, out of curiosity, could people that were not in that building, uh, that may not even been believers, could they have seen this when they were walking on the street? Many called the fire department. They would come down to put up the fire and come running in with their axes and their holes. It says, the place is on fire. And they said, the government, no, there's no fire. <laughs> so finally they'd go out. The first time they went out, it was Seymour, John G. Lake, F.F. Bosworth, at Brother Smith and Brother Signs all ran out, looked up, and saw the phenomena. And they said, no, that's just a Shekinah glory like Moses in the burning bush. But I understand the glory started spreading from that building all the way to the train station. Tell me about that. The anointing went all the way down. Brother Garcia, the one that told me the story of the arm growing out, he lived straight across. Uh, wait, before you tell me that story, you can't leave that alone. Well, tell me about an arm growing out. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, the man that had his arm, even his shoulder joint, ripped out at a, on a job. It happened. It had happened ten years earlier, and and they didn't have the benefits and things they have today. So he'd come there, and Seymour had come up and was talking to the man and said, "Now, can you work?" He says, "No, sir. I, I can do minimal jobs, and that means I get minimal pay." He said, you married? He said, yes. He's got kids? He said, yes. He said, can you make a living? He says, hardly. I can hardly feed them. He said, folks, this man needs, a, needs his old job back. And he jokingly says, if I pray for you and God gives you a new arm, will you tithe? And the man says, yeah, yeah. And he goes laughing. He <laughs> says, no, nah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just teasing you. He said, folks, you want to have fun if we did about a year ago when the man's leg grew out. He said, well, we're fixing to. He told him, take this artificial arm off of him. Well, they did. And Brother Garcia could look down into the hole in the socket. And it was just bone. And it wasn't very good. It looked bad. And he said, Seymour laid his hand on his shoulder and started praying. Now, the flames were shooting out and flames coming down. And they said, the bone started growing out. And about four inches behind it, flesh would start forming around it. And he said, I could sit there and watch it just... Grow out. He said, I even seen when the fingernails appeared on it. Can you imagine the impact it would have on someone's faith in everything God has to see? To see an entire part of a shoulder and an entire arm growing out? Okay, what was going on? What were you told about the, the train station? 
okay, Garcia said he, when he would come in, he was a young man, he wasn't married yet, and in the, in the wintertime, oh, it wasn't no real bad winter there, but it would be dark when he'd get home, and he'd come in and, t you know, take a shower, get ready, come out on his porch, and he'd looked over across and he could see the mission from Pine Street, which was a block away from uh, uh, the big boulevard that ran right past the state train station. Now, if he seen the flames going up, he said he would run to Azusa the whole mile because he knew things were Well, he, this day wasn't, but he was walking by, and he looked out, and the platform was full of people just laying there. He thought, my God, this must have been a, 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 a some kind of disaster. This is at the railroad platform. Yeah. It's a half a mile away from Azusa. So you're saying that the, the glory in Azusa went a half a mile and flattened just normal people, not even believers, from well, the presence of God. Well, most of those were believers. Okay. They were getting off, but some weren't. I have Tommy Welchel in the studio right now, and Tommy is the last living link to the Azusa Street Revival. Because just as a young man, uh, he got radically saved by, so what did you call those women with the buns in their hair? What were they called? Holiness. Oh, there were holiness women with these buns in yes. their hair, and they and he got radically saved, radically set free from from drugs and alcohol, uh, and they they knew that God was going to have him at a certain time, about a hundred years after the revival, start talking about it because they prophesied there would be a greater revival. Even William Seymour prophesied that's the man that started that God used to start the revival of Azusa Street, prophesied about a hundred years later there would be a new move of God's Spirit, and they would need this information. And they poured themselves into Tommy, knowing he was going to say this. But you know what I find interesting as I'm reading your materials here? There were certain people in the revival that had great faith for specific miracles, like uh, there was one person that liked to pray for people with wheel that were bound in wheelchairs. Tell me about that person. That's Sister Carney, and she set the Carney rule, where she'd come up to someone in a wheelchair, she'd pick up their legs and put the flaps up. That was a lack of faith if you didn't, because she knew they were going to get healed. No doubts in her mind. She prayed for them, and they got healed. Uh, and then uh, tell me about uh, some other specialties. Uh, how about the person like to pray for a bad or missing teeth? That's Sister Lucille. She was one of my favorites. She, little bitty woman, four foot ten. And at one time, the secretary to Amy McPherson. Now, Lucille, all these people I've just read about, they're the true heroes of the great move of God a hundred years ago in America. Yes. That's neat. So so tell me. She would tell me about different... Back then, they didn't have as good a hygiene as we have now, keeping the mouth clean and everything. And she said she brought handkerchiefs with her to wipe stuff off of their gums. And and it, it, I said, Lucille, was there ever anyone had no teeth at all? She said, oh, yeah, those are my favorites. I said, why? So she would take her finger, put it over where the tooth was, press down, pray, and let that new tooth push her finger up. 
if she could have prayed for all 32 teeth, and then but not not Lucille, one at a time, and let him push her finger back up. It was kind of a game with her. Um, what about people that uh, uh, had gum disease and? Some of the gums would be missing, teeth very badly crooked. She would pray for them, wipe corruption off their teeth, boils, and, 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 and infected. Pray for them, and they'd be instantly healed. Tell me about uh, the person that liked to pray for blind people. That's old Brother Bill. He's a sad sack. He's the one that kept crying about the loss of the Shekinah glory. But he still, I, I couldn't quite understand his sadness because there's two blind people at Pisgah that Bill prayed for that got healed. Right in front of my eyes, I saw them. So some of these saints, even though the revival uh, lifted after three and a half years, they still had the anointing to pray for miracles. Fifty and you could, years later. Fifty years later. I would sit and watch many of them. Uh, Sister Dundee's. She became Sister Beck. Some, a couple from England came over with a, a very ill child. It had a blood, I, I would assume, leukemia. Well, they came looking for Sister Lucille. The Greenies had brought them over there. Uh, not Lucille, they were looking for Sister Beck because she'd love to pray for children. Well, I went and found Sister Beck, and I says, there's some people here from England coming. They got a baby that you got to pray for. She's... I got her by the hand, and I'm leading her. Her husband's following behind her. And uh, by then, I've been around physical quite a while, and I, <laughs> I knew that like, they were my mother and father. And I bring her out there, and she says, give me the child. And they gave her the child, and she started praying for it. And all of a sudden, the child just had a blanket on his face. And she looked at him, and she looked at him, and she smiled. And she, she couldn't see the baby, but she handed the baby back to the mother. The child is, is healed. And the mother took the baby, and Sister Beck went into the church. Well, I wanted to see the baby. I said, I want to pull that blanket up. She says, okay, and I pulled it. He was a perfectly well baby. All the coloring had come back into it. It was just gooing, and it was hungry. What about tumors? Oh, was there anyone that really loved to pray for tumors? Yes. Uh, brother, one of the most astonishing ones was, was Brother Langford. And a woman had come up with a, a tumor, a very large tumor on her back. You could see it through the dress. Couldn't hide it. And he laid hands on her and prayed for it. And that tumor with his hand on it started shrinking and just went down. And he said within seconds it was gone. He's also the one that prayed for, uh, we called them hair lips, palate lips, would be missing. And during his time there at Azusa, over a hundred, he prayed for missing, these missing teeth, cleft lips, cleft, cleft lips, were instantly supernaturally healed under his anointing right there in front of you. Now tell me about the anointing that Goldie had for tumors. Sister Goldie, her main was tumors were gross that came all over. You've seen people with gross sticking out on their Bodies? Yes, I have. And, and, and she even started bringing a, a, a dustpan and a, and a towel to sweep them up in. Because <laughs> she'd pray for them, and they'd fall off right there. And she'd sweep them up in a the little dustpan and, and put them in the towel and throw them away. 
And I said, Sister Goldie, now, now, now you, you mainly went for the, she says, I just seem to have a burden for them. She said she had a few gross herself that God took off at Azusa. So that, her, that sure beats plastic surgery. It sure does. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now tell me about the children. Were they used in miracles, the children of Azusa Street? Ralph Riggs, one of the ones that was 1914 was in the founding of the Assemblies of God. He wasn't quite 12. And one of my favorite stories there, he had a man that had come in about six foot four, big man, dog drunk, slurring. Well, Ralph didn't really, much, but God said, go pray for him. So he went up there and he says, did you come here to pray for him? He says, well, they said that God was working. He could see the man was blind. Then he had more compassion on him. So he said, well, let's pray. He prayed. The man got instantly healed. Later on, even in my hometown, was a church from the Assemblies of God that that man founded. Hmm. I imagine a lot of these people that God used from Azusa Street went on to Many. start great works and great congregations, even denominations. Yes. Uh, okay, tell me about, uh, I understand the children used to play in the glory. Well, now that was Ralph Riggs and, and C.W. Ward when that, Shekinah glory would fill the building. He said, Tommy, you couldn't see more than 10 foot away from you. It got so thick. And he said, him and Ralph for a while would play hide and go seek until Mama's found out about it and put a stop to it. <laughs> they would hide in the glory. But can you imagine what was happening to them to be playing in the glory? I mean, do you really believe that kind of glory is coming back? Well, why not? I seen a man, myself, at one of Steve Siler's meetings. He had his hand stuck up in the air. He's playing the organ with one hand. Mm -hmm. And his hand stuck up in the air, and I couldn't see the hand. It was stuck up in that cloud. The cloud was up in the air. I couldn't see the hand. because it, And then Steve says, where is it at, Brother Tommy? I says, up there and see Jimmy up on the platform. He says, I see it. I says, he says, just a minute. God told me. Everybody with back problems, come up here and you'll be healed. See, 30 people came up and 30 people got healed. So you're seeing that this same glory has gotten on you when you yes. minister. Uh, have you prayed for people uh, and the glory has gotten on them and they then can pray for people? Oh, yes, uh, several. One little girl in, in Banning, California, she's 13 years old. There were five churches got together and had a meeting of young people, youth pastors. One of them had a cast on his knee. He had injured it in a ball game. And I said, now listen, these people down here, I'm not going to pray for them. I want you to pray. And then if God tells you, you come down here and pray for them. And I've seen this little girl. She looked 10, but she's 13. A glow around her, and I believe that was the glory. She finally she got up, walked down there, laid hands on him, prayed for him, and he got so excited that he got some people help him bust that cast off. He got up dancing all over the church. That little girl, I finally got him to bring her to me. And I said, "Sweetheart, how old are you?" She said, "13." I says, "Look me in the eyes. I says, you can do that." 
anytime, anywhere. If she had a puzzle, she said, anytime, anywhere? I said, yes. She went to her school. She's what you call a towel girl in the football games. You see these little right. girls run. That's what she done. Well, the quarterback got injured. They even had him on the gurney. She walked up and says, listen, I believe in divine healing. Would you like me to pray for you? And he said, yeah. She prayed for him, and he got instantly healed. The next play, he would back. Now, you know, I'm getting sick of the news that I'm seeing lately on television. You, can you imagine if the news were covering that particular football game? If you enjoyed this special CD and you would like to find out more about our other mentoring tools or watch or listen to our archives of our TV or radio broadcast, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Gee.